Hey Auntie is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge that this is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and Indigenous mob all over the world. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hi, and welcome to Hey Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall, and it's my absolute pleasure to have you join me. Hey sis, come on in, take a seat, and make yourself comfy. With Hey Auntie, we're going to remix the proud tradition of the Black Auntie, and we're going to use it to demonstrate that there's millions of ways to be a magical black woman. Sounds good? Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! So, welcome back for part two of Hey Auntie. How do you deal with a dickhead? In this week's uh, show, I'm really excited to welcome my guest, Patty Grace Lupari. Now, Patty is a proud Papua New Guinea woman who's worked in the tech and film and TV space for about the last 10 years. She's an outspoken woman of colour, working in a predominantly male and white industry. She's had to navigate through the tech space, working at IBM and Google, and learn from development teams, um, launch new products to the market, all of that sort of stuff while staying true to her culture and heritage, wearing her afro out and upholding her feminist viewpoints. Sounds like a challenge to me. From tech now, Patty Grace is working in TV. She leads digital and marketing strategy for the Discovery Channel, including Animal Planet and Eurosport in Australia. And uh, that's the second largest US media corporation here, I think, outside of Netflix. Patty Grace's real passion is for storytelling, and she also works on her own film projects about PNG and PNG women who are making waves locally and globally. Wow, this conversation was fantastic. We talk about her early formative experiences of run-ins with dickheads, how she's had to fall back on some early, I guess, kind of tough love lessons from her pops, um, which really... I think uh, pre-warned and pre-armed her for dealing with these characters out in the world. Um, How she has had to face them later in life, in work, and strangely enough, in, uh, I guess they're trying to be love connections, I guess. Um, We've kind of unpacked what on earth is going on in these people's heads. What is it that is making them have these kind of weird outbursts? odd behaviours towards us. What shapes the mind of the dickhead? Fascinating combo. I'd love to know what you think. Check it out. Um, I guess years of just like kind of learning how to be able to filter through um, and being able to like spot the signs of, oh God, he's going to be, that's going to be one. That's going to be, nope, avoid, you know. So um, that's really 
what got me interested to have this conversation because um, I think it's just one of those really relevant conversations that us as women of color kind of bond over. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like we all have so many stories, but we all seem to experience running with these people, mostly when we're by ourselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Or in um, really awkward situations that you don't, when you're in it, you don't feel like it's real. And... You, you, you want to tell somebody just to justify that the situation that just happened is real? Seriously. You're like, uh, so, sorry, what? what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. What did, you, what did you just say? You do find yourself genuinely looking around from face to face sometimes, just going, uh, 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 am I the only one who can see what this idiot's doing? When I moved to Australia, I saw all of these signs at bars and things saying, no ticket policy, and I thought it was a hilarious joke. And I didn't realise that it's genuine necessity. Um, what, for you, uh, do you have a story that kind of uh, sums up dickhead behaviour? Uh, I have several <laughs> But I think the one that kind of sticks out in my mind and really kind of, it was one of those lessons that as a young woman you learn. And it was a situation where um, I walked into this bar. I was in Queensland and I was a fresh 18-year-old walking into a bar with a girlfriend. Baby Patty Grace. Yeah, very baby, very green. Oh, God. And, you know, a little bit like unsure about myself, but going in there with a, with a bit of Dutch courage and just instantly like bombarded by this. Now I would say the dickhead. And the first thing he said was, G'day, you've got a big hair. Oh, God. And I was like, okay. This is oh great. I'm going to just, um, yep, go with this. Straight <laughs> in with the witty repartee. Yes, very. And, you know, I was very young and very naive and I just kind of played along with it. But, you know, from there it just went worse and it was just more about, you know, just talking a bit about culture and, you know, he's oh. making his reference to uh, Papua New Guinea and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Papua New Guinea, it's, you know, oh, yeah, like, it's just up there. You know, it used to belong to Australia and, oh, I think it still belongs to Australia. Oh, they're all primitive up there, but you seem normal. <laughs> wow. And Did that's when I kind of knew that it would be about the hair and about the look and about... Wow. I'm so stunned. <laughs> it's so interesting how they... Yeah, I guess this is a really good lesson in early warning signs. When you're young, you don't, you actually just want to imagine that you can just move through the world freely and not be bothered by people. 
or even mm. with those people who may be a bit rambunctious and a bit clumsy and lacking in style or charm may just be harmless fools who do the same thing to everyone and then mm. at some point in the conversation it takes a turn and you get that sinking feeling in the bottom of the stomach and you realize oh yeah they're really gonna go there primitive holy yeah. mackerel yeah yeah it was it was such a turning point for myself because that's when i really understood kind of the value of my color to others um you know simply because you don't think about it as as a kid really until someone says something or calls you something and and I guess being an 18 year old and trying to kind of um, grow from, you know, being adolescence to becoming an adult. Thinking it, it's, you're it's, an adult. Yes, thinking you're an adult, correct. But, you know, it's that, you know, time of, oh, you know, it, I'm, I'm at the peak of my uh of my life and I'm going to enjoy and I'm going to grow and I'm going to become like, I'm shaping myself. And you're that was a turning point really for me. Yeah. You're excited. You're full of excitement and opportunity and enthusiasm for the world. And it's so awesome that you've been able to reframe it and think of it as a learning experience. But the first thing that I'm thinking of is how, vulnerable you'd feel and how much that would hurt because the other thing about being 18 is that you're not bitter and hardened by the world yet that must hurt patty grace it, it really did and i questioned myself um and i guess the value of who i was in the world and what uh what role i was going to play in society was I going to be someone who would be almost take that token mentality? And I mean, you know, it's great for some people. I'm probably not uh, that way inclined, but that whole thing of, you know, being approached by, by a person like that and, you know, supposedly laughing it off, I kind of just went, no, that's not who I am and you can't generalize. So I'm, I'm, I'm me, I'm going to shape myself as who I'm going to be. And I think from then on, I've just kind of thought, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go by the, you know, by the beat of my own drum. <laughs> oh, I love that. Whatever that looks like, whatever that sounds like. I love that because you know what, when I was 18, if somebody had said that to me, I would have shrunken and withered and I would have wanted to hide and I think that that is the great shame of these idiots. You know, he would have bounded back and finished drinking his 25 pints and never thought of that again without thinking of the lasting impact he could have had on someone, how he could have crushed their spirit with that idiotic sentence that he just uttered. Um, but I love that you used it as a springboard instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think helped you to use that as a springboard um, I really think it came down to the way my father was always very kind of harsh, but honest to me. Um, he always said to me, I remember when I was 
very, very young and we were living in England, he said to me, you're going to have to work harder than everybody else, not because you're a girl, but because you're a black. And it was, I guess, one of those conversations that I just held as really um, a safe zone to go back to, even though it sounds quite harsh, coming from love and coming from protection, he was just really giving me the tools to be my own person because he knew that the world was not built for people like us, you know? Um, and having all brothers, he just said, you know, your brothers will be fine, but you'll just have to work harder. Wow. Your um, dad was like giving you a lesson in intersectional feminism at such a young age. You know, I tell him all the time he's a feminist, but he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, I think you are, dad. <laughs> wow. So... I feel like for a lot of us, run-ins with idiots like that guy in the bottom and all of the multiple micro and macro aggressions we have to deal with are what strip away those illusions and make us come to those realizations. But I guess what your dad did is he gave you a head start and you went out into the world with your eyes wide open. Yeah, he definitely did. He's, he's very much a realist. Um, we definitely clash on a lot of different things and different ideologies but you know he's always said you know if there is times of adversity that you're going to face just brush it off because <laughs> he's just a bit of a tough love um kind of guy so I hear yeah you. I mean it has a pros and its cons but it's it's worked in that situation <laughs> Yeah, look, all of our parents, it's all light and shade, isn't it? But I can really hear how that would have come straight to your mind in that situation. And I'm sure, you know, it never diminishes the pain, never at all. When we're strong, we still feel everything. But I can understand that also you would have gathered yourself and gone, how do I react to this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that sinking feeling within yourself when it happens, but then you just kind of have to keep it together for the sake, I guess, for, for face or just for yourself. As I said, it was such a turning point and such a good gauge for myself as I grew older and, you know, experienced more dickhead moments through, you know, schooling and then in, you know, in the workplace as well. So... Yeah, so it set you up well because that early experience, knowing you, you got to that crossroads where you could choose to shrink or you could choose to own your difference and you sure as heck chose to own your difference. So how has that impacted the way that you end up being targeted by dickheads these days? I know myself when I have my afro out, it seems to be a dickhead magnet and you've got big beautiful natural hair you you know you're no shrinking violet when do you feel like the dickheads seem to target you or be drawn to you most uh, they've been really peculiar times once on a tram when I lived in Melbourne and it just, you know, I don't know what it is with our hair. It just seems to be such an attraction that gives people permission to just come up and touch. Um, you know, invading that personal space, 
Yeah. Um, and I've really, I guess as I've aged and had more experience, I've been really protective of my personal space. Um, so yeah, that one particular incident where it, a gentleman just put his hand on the back of my head and because I'm quite little, I also think that it's because being little, I'm welcoming in a sense. Maybe if I was taller and prouder, like in my stature, that maybe they wouldn't feel so comfortable to approach me. <laughs> like a child. Like a child, exactly. Um, and yeah, it, now I'm very abrupt with that, you know. I've been, I've been known to just say, no, please don't touch my hair. <laughs> you know back to the whole Solange song don't touch my hair a stranger coming up from behind you and physically touching you bold as brass imagine that mm. being something that you you know you feel like you're being harsh mm. and and that's it like I feel like I'm being rude by not letting this complete stranger stroke me like I'm a pest um and so when i react then i'm like great now i'm the angry black woman because this person is invading my personal space and you know that possession of me owning my own body is not mine anymore and it you know it, it reminds me of tanahasi coates amazing writer spoke about owning your own body and you know that that possession of our body not being ours when situations like that occur or you know, that obviously being a lesser extent of what African-Americans go through on a daily basis about owning their own selves. But I, I do really take like, your point on board and think it's a really interesting one in that the way that we are accosted by dickheads so often is directed towards our physical difference. Mm -hmm. It's so often the hair touching, the commenting about our bodies, getting into your physical space. And I do feel like there is a subtle power game going on that they may not even be aware of themselves, which is connected to what Tanahasi Coates so eloquently speaks about, which is, you know, in the context of African Americans, he talks about the constant reminders that they can your body can be destroyed and taken away from you at any moment. And I do feel like there's a sliding scale and these constant um, um, invasions of your physical space are reminders that you do not have control and I can get in here whenever I want. And I do feel like the reason our hair especially attracts so much of this dickhead behavior is because it is a bit of a bold statement for mm -hmm. black women to wear their hair as, um, you know, either in long braids or in natural styles. And I feel like on a subconscious level, it presses buttons that make these dickheads want to assert their power over us again. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's that extension of who we are that I feel in a sense that it, 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 it imposes their comfort. But rather than reacting in a respectful way for, that we can own our own space, just trying to, I guess have that that angst but kind of sugar-coated in a in a bit of humor you're right so like oh yeah 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 larrikin laughing ha 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 you know but you know 
you look different. Let's just point out all the things that look different about you. So you coming into their space, into their orbit, in full possession of yourself as a black woman, rocks the boat for them mm -hmm. and they feel oh, a little bit uncomfortable. And what they're mm -hmm. trying to do is deflect that discomfort back onto you mm -hmm. and be a coward while doing it by cloaking it in humour. Wow, man, I think you are right on the money there. <laughs> and this all plays out in milliseconds sometimes and you look around have you ever been in a situation where you've been accosted by a dickhead and been supported by anyone in dealing with them you know unfortunately these times as you say you are quite often alone because i don't think they have the courage to do it while there are other people around i think if they do it's always kind of like What's the saying where you like a backhanded compliment? Yeah, I um, I think that those can be some of the most upsetting situations when you're in a group situation and in front of everyone, you you know that person is undermining you, mm. but they're doing it in such a way that it allows everyone else to pretend they don't see it or just ignore it. Do mm. you have you ever experienced that? I have. Um, I just thought of a, a situation where I was given a compliment, but it was kind of a backhanded compliment because we were talking about um, immigration uh, with this particular random dickhead. And, now, you know, they said... made this stranger think they should come and talk to you about immigration? Lord save us. <laughs> I know, because I think they were talking about yes. the weather. Yeah, yeah, and then it kind of like um, it led on to, and then the immigration uh, currently in Australia. Um, it was to do with the refugees and um, migrants coming to Australia, and they were saying about, you know, they've got the, the English, the Irish, and they're like, oh, but now there's like a load of Africans coming. But, you know, you're, you're a good black like you're 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 like oh, and point. i was just like are you you just reverse that and keep digging um because this ain't django <laughs> i'm not Samuel <laughs> <Al> <laughs> don't make me put my frilly shirt on and show you <laughs> i was just like wow. sorry what is good black please tell me what good black is yo and you didn't know this person no. Where were you? I think I was in oh, I was in a bar and I think he was trying to chat me up. Oh my word. <laughs> that was it for me. He thought he would say, You're a good black and how's about it? Yes. Wow. Wow. So that's really interesting because they often come out with these incredibly ignorant racist things but it feels to me like he was a dickhead he mm. may have had some you know racist ideas but it feels like that's a dickhead incident what do you think distinguishes a dickhead from anything that you think is more serious or just you know less serious than someone who's just not funny what are the markers of dickhead behavior in your experience I, 
I'm very harsh. <laughs> if, I think if they come in and they lead with something to do with either my skin or my hair, I'm done. Cut. Done. Patty Grace, that is not <laughs> harsh. Someone, someone entering your space by just being like, let me other you is not mm -hmm. my, my favorite uh, dickhead opener. And this is from the, uh, the branch of dickheads known as that will, that who will forever now be known as the amorous dickheads, like old mate who thought he'd call you a good black and get your phone number. And it's the ones who sidle up to you and say too close. Probably. I love your skin. Oh, <laughs> Oh, 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 oh God, <laughs> I've had that before. It's like, wow, your skin is just, it's just golden. It's just brown. No, no, mm, I no. don't know you that well. Get out. Sorry. Don't talk about my physical attributes at all, sir. Oh, I've had before. Oh, so you're, you look like you're light skin. Like you're so beautiful. You look like you're light skin. Like that, I being mixed is more beautiful than if I was full black. You, now tell me, this was not a white person. You know what? It was a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. They've been watching Insecure. They've been watching TV. Mm -hmm. They picked up a few phrases, and now they're just <laughs> throwing them out there. Mm -hmm. now, be careful. Be cautious. You will sound like a dead. <laughs> Holy macaroni. I'm just like, no, stop watching our shows, <laughs> reading our website and our newspapers and learning our lingo. We don't say that to each other. I think the number one thing, I had a thought the other day and I was like, the number one thing you have to do if you want to learn is shut your mouth and listen. And I think the difficulty is there is this um, like acquisitive thing with like dominant culture where dominant culture finds something new, like some slang or some terminology, and it doesn't want to listen and learn. It wants to acquire. So fast forward acquiring. So old mates heard light skinned on something and he's gone, yeah, I like those. <laughs> and immediately like run to the closest bar to try and use that line on someone. God seriously. Seriously. And I've heard before, oh, I've got jungle fever. I'm like, excuse oh. me. <laughs> you need to back right off. You should see a medical professional, sir. Oh, this is why you're still single. <laughs> often the dickheads are actually trying to pick you up, aren't they? You've made, mm. yeah, the drunk guy is trying to pick you up in a really offensive fashion. Where else do you run into dickheads? Well, um, I work in a predominantly white male industry. God bless you. Um, so I run into them a lot there, but they're usually passive aggressive and they're more, um, it's less about the color of your skin, but more to more of the fact that you're of your gender of being a woman. Oh, and then 
honey, they're giving you a slice of both. They're just, <laughs> when you, once you get to the professional sector dickhead, that's like, you know, like in Super Mario, when you get through all the levels and then you have to fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like in those situations, unfortunately, a lot of the times those dickheads or those people with the dickhead behavior would be either my colleagues or my, you know, managers, people above me. Um, And it's very rare that I find a great, you know, like space to work in. Can you think of a safe, non-professional suicide way of giving us (laughs) an example? Um, I've been in a situation where I was leading a team in a tech company and we had new products and I was the lead and under me were four men and they were in their late, mid to late forties, um, different, you know, experience levels, but it was, it just so happened that this was my product and I was leading it. That you were the best. And we went, yeah. And I was their their manager. (laughs) And I went into a boardroom with a bunch of other white males in their late 40s to early 50s, sat down. A Chino festival. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I walked in and I sat down and the guy in front of me said, oh, are you going to get the coffees? And I looked at him and I said, no, but my assistant will, and turned around to the other gentleman that was sitting next to me in my team. And I said, hey, Mark, do you want to go? Wow. I just felt like a little girl in that situation, but I just had to react. You had to, and I feel like you had a great response. It's a really high pressure situation already. You're in a challenging professional environment. You're about to give a presentation in a boardroom full of people. And then you prepare yourself. You've done all the work. You've put all the hours in. And then some dickhead comes with what I feel like these days, that doesn't feel like an innocent mistake anymore. Mm-mm. No, not anymore. There's no specific gender to you know a a type of job role everyone does everything these days I think in that particular situation I just thought to myself no this is not on you work in a you know a global company and you're in a fast-paced industry so you can't be that backwards yeah you don't get a pass sir no no you don't get to simultaneously say I am a high-flying professional and say, oh, I can't be held responsible for my worth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's that thing of, I think, referring back to what we said about that uncomfortability that they just are not expecting a certain type of individual to be in there that, you know, for them, their assumptions are this is the way it's a, it, it should be. You can't be sitting here being part of this. Your role is my news. So you should be only playing the smaller role. 
absolutely. I think that that has such a part to play in that in that story, and it's a it's a story which whether it's get the coffees or hold the doors or you know change the temperature of the room. I think so many women of color will have experienced that in the professional setting. I know myself that my career was sort of smooth sailing until I got myself into a position where I was the person leading meetings. Mm. When I was second in command, always walking behind a white man or behind a white woman, I didn't come up against dickheads really, you know, making outrageous comments or asking me to fetch coffees. It really started happening in full force when Mm -hmm. I was the one leading the meetings and when I didn't have some sort of white chaperone with me. And it is, it's, it's then that they're like, oh, you've gone too far now. I need to put you back in your place. I think so much of it is subconsciously about taking us down a peg or two. Your story reminds me so much of a woman at a previous workplace and she was one of my stakeholders and I was leading like million dollar projects and a detailed work based on my 10 years experience in the field. And this lady was quite a quiet lady. And I know in my heart of hearts that she didn't consciously mean to demean me. But every day when I would get my lunch out at lunchtime, she would come shuffling over and just give me so much commentary about how lovely my lunch looked. And in the end, she started saying every time she'd see my lunch, she'd say, oh, you really are in the wrong job. You really should, you should make food. You should make food. You're really good at making food. It's so pretty, your food. I'd buy your food. And I was like, girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You've been a dickhead, love. It, it's those cultural stereotypes that are so prominent in media and prominent in our stories. No, no, not our stories, but the stories that they portray about us, that that's as far as we can go. You're so right. I feel like you've just introduced a really interesting idea, which is that maybe we're blaming the wrong person. Maybe the dickhead is actually just a small-minded person, a simple person, a non-independent thinking person. And maybe the dickhead is responding to the to the sort of um, panic that is caused within them when all of the familiar frameworks that they have for what black people are, are rocked by us just being our individual brilliant selves maybe the real culprit here is mainstream media which always presents us in such narrow and stereotypical ways that you know simple-minded folk will take on board and have their minds blown when they meet an actual black person (laughs) absolutely absolutely i remember oh you know as a kid I would just, you know, when people would meet me and I'd be on the street and I'd just meet them and then, you know, they're straight away that, that look, they're like, oh, you're Papua New Guinean. But then I'd start talking and they're like, oh, well, geez, you've got really good English. It, and it leads back to that whole thing of how we're portrayed in media and that expectation of, of what these, the dickhead ideal is, that they would see that and say, oh, well, what I'm seeing and understanding from what 
you know, societies and media is telling me is this certain, you know, person, but you've just completely blown that out of the water. So how am I going to, you know, function and how am I going to process this in my little mind? Um, um, I can't. Maybe I'm not ready to grow. You're so right. I think what you're saying, it, oh God, I think that's such an insight. I think what you're really setting out is so true. And maybe really the dickhead is actually just somebody who's experiencing cognitive dissonance, which is the um, experience of all of your cognitive frameworks or one mm-hmm. of your significant cognitive frameworks being contradicted by your sensory experience. And it is actually physically uncomfortable when we experience it. Um, it's, it's very much like uh, the feeling that people get when they have vertigo, when they stand on the edge of a, because your, your framework is being contradicted by your sensory experience. And maybe what you've put your finger on here is so, I think it's so smart because maybe the dickhead is somebody acting out against the cognitive dissonance that kicks in when the narrow stereotype versions of what they think black people can be are Mm -hmm. contradicted by their sensory experience of a real multifaceted living breathing thinking feeling human being absolutely because you know for the first time sambo is not this white person dressed with black face he's you know he or she is you know as you say multifaceted um maybe many different cultures in one to look like a type of black to this type of black, that there is diversity in all of us. And it, it is, it is so overwhelming, you know, because there's no such thing as this pure race, really, when you think about it. But even caring about the concept of purity, you know, mm. why, why does any of that matter unless you think that something must follow from somebody's genetics, you know? Mm-hmm. My mind is literally blown by how spot on I think you are with the point that you made. Dickheads are often people who are literally confronted with a novel situation based a lot of the time, you can't blame them on the way they've been conditioned by society and they are not capable of growing in that moment. And like you at 18, they face a crossroad and they turn in the direction of Dickheadville. Mm. Yes. <laughs> With a one-way ticket. Yeah. Oh, that, that is a hell of an insight. Um, I reckon that managing dickheads is actually one of the many types of invisible labor that women of color mm. have to do that weighs on us. How does your experience of having to manage dickheads or be aware of them or wary of managing them impact you your mentally, physically, otherwise? Oh, it's extremely draining, extremely draining. Um, I think one thing that I try to do is surround myself with really intelligent people that are multifaceted and curious about the world I think that's my saving grace Um, because living you know if you're with one-dimensional people you're not really ever going to trawl through and break down the mental blocks within your mind to be to finding um, 
a, a happy a happy medium, a balance, because dickheads will always be out there. But I think the difference is, you know, what you have around you and who you have, who you are surrounding yourself with. Wow, um, I feel like you've really hit on something there. I feel like you've really, you've really set yourself up because that. Hey, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing that harsh realism that your dad drummed into you again. It's dickheads yeah. are always going to be there, and I, that means as a black woman especially I'm going to have to process a lot of stuff and unpack a lot of stuff so I better arm myself with a community around me of people who are capable willing and interested in unpacking that with me yeah 100% and when I look at that and I trace it back I really think of what our cultures were like like in Papua New Guinea we're very much a community-based culture so you protect each other and so you surround and you keep your your people and your your tribe in this kind of in in, in this kind of for, like uh, fortress in a sense. So with that, you know, my my dad transformed that into a metaphor for the way that we would kind of live our lives and me especially. And it was just really about me tapping back into you know what people would say is primitive thinking, but really is quite logical and quite um, important for, you know, your emotional, emotional intelligence and your stability in that sense, you know, building that community and having that solid community of belonging so that you can weather the storm of dickheads as you go out into the world. (laughs) Amen, sister. And it's never ending. (laughs) Thanks again to my amazing guest, and thank you for listening. So you've heard what the aunties have to say. What do you think? HeyAuntiePod at gmail.com, Facebook, or Instagram. That's Auntie, A-U-N-T-Y. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and join us in a week for the next show.